Welcome to episode number 61 of Peak Curiosity. My name is Abigail. I just turned 25, so I know almost nothing. So in this podcast, I talk to folks from all sorts of different backgrounds and persuasions so I can learn. Today, I have James Carey from the Cooper and Carey Have Words podcast. This has been one of the most influential podcasts over the last four or five years of my life, so it was so cool to talk to James. And I talked to Barry, the other partner of this podcast, in episode number 37, if you would like a further intro into who James and Barry are. In this episode, though, we talked about how the Bible can have really embarrassing bits that we try to ignore or science away. We talked a little bit about Calvinism, because of course... And then finished up with Ayn Rand and guns. So a very well-rounded and cohesive discussion, I would say. I had a really good time recording this, and I hope you have a good time listening. So who am I? I have recently turned 46. Uh, So I am a 46-year-old British guy. I will go as far as to say I'm an Englishman, uh, not just a Brit. And I am from the county of Somerset, uh, which is near Wells and Glastonbury. I can see Glastonbury Tor as we speak out of my window. I climbed it the other day on my actual 46th birthday, having not been up it for as long as I can remember. So I lived in London for 15 years after university, where I made my way as a a sitcom writer and comedy writer in the secular comedy world, working mostly for the BBC, who sort of make most of the comedy. They make all of the radio comedy, at least until Audible uh, came along. And then I moved back to the West Country uh, to kind of raise my kids, be closer to my parents, my in-laws. And um, and in the last two years in particular, I've become utterly obsessed with the Bible And having been a Christian probably since the age of 10 or 11, you would think I should be at least interested in the Bible. And I studied theology at university, um, although at that time I was more interested in comedy than the Bible. Um, So the Bible was the textbook for the degree, as it were. Uh, But but yeah, I'm kind of really obsessed. Uh, So this morning I was writing out Exodus. Um, I've got to... uh, the, the plague hail mm. uh, is just about to come. And um, I was also, I'm also inching my way through John, trying to learn New Testament Greek, having sort of failed to learn it at my degree, theology degree, which was just so long ago now, it doesn't really bear thinking about. So I kind of, in a way, I you could say I hover between the worlds of secular comedy and Christianity, but actually I'm fully immersed in both. It's a Trinitarian both and rather than a apportioned uh, sort of situation, uh, if that makes any sense to your listeners who are already regretting listening uh, to this podcast. Who who is this guy? I am no clearer on what on what he is. (laughs) Yes. um, So why is the Bible suddenly interesting? Do you know why? Um, I think, I mean, lockdown just made, just mm. threw, took out away a lot of options. And I think I had an accumulated, so I'm from the, I'm the, from the fairly conservative evangelical 
uh, part of the church. That's how I became a Christian, I think. And, you know, after during and after university, I've gone to conservative evangelical churches. I go to one now. I am a conservative evangelical. Um, I believe in penal substitutionary atonement and all the things that we're meant to believe in. But there's an awful lot of stuff in the Bible that that is weird, doesn't fit that. And it bothers me that I don't understand it. I don't know what it's doing there. Even this morning, going through the plagues, I'm just thinking, why hail? Uh, and it, all the animals have just been killed. Um, and before that, we had flies. And before that, we had gnats. Why gnats? And then why flies? And then we started with frogs. Frogs? Why frogs? And then they were all piled up and the place stank. And it, it says a few times uh, that, that, that it stinks. And so I think I've been going back to the Bible, having done a lot of script writing and script editing and thinking about the Bible as a script and a story in its own right. And I know that in a script, every single detail has been placed there intentionally. And if it's not something that you should be noticing, it's it's removed. It's kind of it's expunged. It's airbrushed away. The, the cinematographer calls it the mise-en-scene, I believe, which is like the framing of the shot. And actually, we're talking on video now. Mm -hmm. And I have intentionally got a backdrop behind me, which has got my Cooper and Carey podcast uh, thing there, uh, which has been made by my kids. My, my, my kids made that. And there's a big sign up there saying Yeovil, which is where I live near. And that sign is from the set of a BBC sitcom I wrote called Bluestone 4-2. And so I've just got these visual clues, um, you know, and I'm wearing a, a blue collared shirt because I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I'm not a blue collar guy, but I wear blue uh, sort of uh, shirts. And, <laughs> um, and, and you can see on my shelf, can you see over there? What have I got? Can you just see a little logo there? What does that look like to you? DVDs of a show called? I can't see it, actually. It's Seinfeld. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm, I'm wanting to associate myself with kind of the finest sitcom that there has ever been. Um, and so all of these things are intentional. They're in the shot. Um, and therefore, um, and the Bible is intentional in every single uh, scrap, every single letter. Um, is is there on purpose it's God breathed and I'm thinking what is that what's that doing there and I'm and I'm constantly amazed at how curious people aren't and so when I'm you know when I'm with conservative evangelicals who explain the passage oh we now we can understand what's happening in Mark 3 or blah 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 it's like but I'm just left, left with a bunch of other questions like why is why is that happening uh, but why why did it happen that way and not another way? And so, weird example, we're recording this uh, not long before Halloween. And my team have nothing to say about demons. Nothing. Nothing at all. And yet, you read Mark. So I've been spending a lot, a lot of time in John recently. No demons. At all. None. Not even mentioned. Satan's mentioned in passing a couple of times. The prince of the, the air or prince of this world or whatever. And everyone just sort of thinks that Mark is the easy gospel. You go back to Mark and there are just demons everywhere. And it's like, what are they doing there? Well, we know that we don't need to worry about demons, uh, says is the official answer, because Jesus has power over the demons. 
Okay, so we now move on to the next section where Jesus has power over nature. Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, what? Jesus drives these demons into pigs. Okay, why pigs? Well, because they're unclean animals. Okay, now let's move on. No, no, okay, so, so the pigs are now dead. So now where are the demons? Look, I think you're getting a bit obsessed with demons. It's like, no, I, I just want to know where they are now. Do I need to worry about demons? I probably, I probably don't. But where do they come from? Where are they going? What are they doing now? What is their eternal destiny? Um, and I, and I, the, all of these things really bother me. And I think that's why I'm just sort of burying myself in scripture and seeing links between um, all of these different things, which I think are intentional. I don't think that I don't think I'm reading stuff into it. Uh, I'm just reading it and curious about what it's doing there. So in a way, again, it's me being 100% sitcom writer, where you've only got 30 pages, mm. 25 pages. You've got like five, 6,000 words, maybe 5,000 words. That's it. Everything's got to be in there. And therefore, you're just honing it down, honing it down, honing it down until it's like, okay, there we go. That's it. Um, so I'm combining that with, okay, so we've now got scripture we've got exodus we've got genesis we've got this we've got that we've got john we've got mark we've got isaiah we've got ezekiel nobody reads ezekiel um but he's but ezekiel's everywhere in john i do, all i know now is how much i need to understand ezekiel in order to understand john oh really um, yeah i think hmm. so so that's kind of why i'm insanely curious about the bible is because um i'm approaching it like it's a script and the clues in the title it's scripture uh so i shouldn't be altogether surprised at that sure now about ezekiel one time oh probably a few months ago i sat down and tried to read it and i thought if this isn't exactly how i've heard psychedelic trips described then i don't know what is my goodness yeah, yeah. yeah. it's crazy yeah. it is crazy um but again i don't think i don't think we know what we're looking for um, and we just sort of skip to the dry bones, valley, flesh, Holy Spirit. Sure. And that's like quite a short section in quite a long book. Um, so that bothers me. It bothers me that I haven't the faintest idea what the book of Jeremiah is about, who it's written to, what are the themes. And Jeremiah is massive. Mm -hmm. It's a big book. Um, so, yeah. So rather than... And I think it's because a lot of these things are story-based and poetry-based and conservative Christians are fundamentally Calvinist lawyers and therefore they love a tightly argued New Testament epistle. Uh, think this, therefore this, therefore this, therefore do this. Renew your mind by thinking this, therefore do this. Understand this, now do this. Yeah. And there's really literally nothing left to the imagination it's just a series of doctrinal statements and commands and arguments and you know so it's great you know but that's kind of a really slim part of what scripture actually is um the other part of scripture which is like uh a mixture of theology and do this do that is proverbs and they're really strange you know they are really oddly scattered across it. it's like what's going on in proverbs uh, yeah, and they really... contradict themselves a lot. Yeah, they do. Because, and in a way, again, the sort of 
conservative Christian immediately says, no, 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 they don't contradict each other because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Is that what they, they, but they kind of do. I mean, what do you but, say? Answer the fool according to his folly and you're a fool. And then the next one says, don't answer a fool according to his folly and you're a fool. So. Yeah. Cause we, but thing is, if you want to, if we want to get uh, legal about it, you would just go, well, these two things can't be true simultaneously, but it's not a legal document. It's describing life. And we know that both of those statements are true. Don't we? We just know mm -hmm. in our hearts, it's, it's this and not this. And wisdom is knowing when it's one and when it's the other. And grace is understanding that you pick the wrong one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so better, try again next time yeah. and you might do better. Have you been listening to the Bema podcast? A bit, um, a little bit. I did listen to a few a while back and it's helpful. I was interested by early documents, early parts of it, which were uh, sort of mentioning some of this stuff comes from Rob Bell. And it was like, aha. Uh -huh. Okay, you've not mentioned some fairly big problems with Rob Bell uh, in in the episode. You've not sort of tried to nuance that. Uh, maybe that's okay, but I don't know. But I don't know. Have you been, have you been listening? What's it What's it like? Yeah, I listened through all the way until uh, Jericho, and then okay. the prophets got really boring. And he kind of okay. said, "This isn't my expertise, so I'm not gonna try to pretend like I know what's happening." So he even. Okay realized it was going to be boring. So then I skipped a little bit to Matthew. <laughs> and um, I found it to be really interesting, mostly because he spends a lot of time explaining who the original readers would be yeah, and how they would probably understand it. And yeah, I think that is a big place where we don't spend a lot of time. The only time we might do that is when we're reading the New Testament epistles and we're making sure we know which little church mm -hmm. we're talking about. But we don't then necessarily always talk about what specific temples and practices would have been happening next door on that Sunday yeah. morning. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's really interesting. The, a similar thing for me has been the work of Michael Heiser, uh, who wrote The Unseen Realms, and he talks a lot about, um, you know, Enoch, um, one and two Enoch and all this kind of other stuff and although these books aren't scripture and, and they, they shouldn't be no, then he's, he's not claiming they should be and I'm not either but he's saying these are well-known documents to the writers of the scriptures and therefore it's quite hard to avoid seeing their influence on one and two Peter and the book of Jude or whatever and so this is the culture of the time and I, I'm sort of probably with those people who just say look the Bible just speaks for itself it doesn't doesn't require other secret documents to unlock it or whatever but we don't want to be willfully ignorant of, of other sources so i think that's a really helpful way and i and i think the there's quite a lot of stuff now about um uh, there's another podcast about from the school of hebraic thought um which i quite like and i think there's a greater appreciation for the rabbinic approach to scripture and the old testament and that rather than explain stuff we should ask questions and that the discussion and the answering of the questions um is in itself fruitful 
and worth doing. So rather than, um, you know, the obvious big one being Abraham is asked to sacrifice his only son. And we just think, well, that's just monstrous. But the question is, well, given who God is, why did he ask Abraham to do that? What's going on there? Um, and so asking questions like why um, is, is really helpful rather than just sort of being stunned for a while and then scrabbling for ex explanations. The thing that we fail to appreciate, and I think I've really come to aware of this, uh, become aware of this recently, is although we are um, rightly concerned about the Abraham sacrificing Isaac thing, you should get a load of what the Canaanites were doing. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so it's like, so I think there's always this idea that whatever we are saying, reading back into scripture, this is some form of Western cultural imperialism that we are imposing on this on this um, blissfully innocent uh, district of Canaan. And it's like, yeah, you probably want to have a look at the absolutely bestial practices that persist, persisted for centuries, um, including after... Uh, the return uh, with Joshua into the promised land um, and the continued practice of child sacrifice. And so when Joshua is sort of saying sayonara um, uh, at the end of Joshua, he's saying, OK, guys, whatever you do, don't end up performing child sacrifice. And we're reading it just going, OK, uh, I'm not about to sacrifice my kids. And they're all going, yeah, we're not going to do a child sacrifice. And you literally turn the page, Judges chapters one and two. It's like they were for, they were worshipping foreign gods and practicing child sacrifice. That was common. That was normal. That was what those tribes of the time were doing. And and the God of the Bible sort of categorically outlawed that from the start. So if you want if you want a progressive religion then it does not get more progressive than Judeo-Christianity. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that appreciation of what's going on around, I think, is really important um, so that we can be a bit more on the front foot when it comes to um, explaining ourselves in the public square, should we wish to wish to do that. Yeah, yeah. This uh, Bama guy, he is taking the view that a lot of early in the in Genesis he's describing things that are like the gods that would have been common in that time but saying no it I'm like your other gods but I'm actually what you wish for just like these other gods actually ask you to sacrifice your kids I'm gonna say no that's actually not what I'm about and so I found that very very compelling of an explanation for sure yeah yeah it is and just the character of god as revealed in those first five books uh which is i think what i'm really wanting to you know really dig into it just feels like this is the firmware source code of the whole bible and i believe that every new king of israel was supposed to literally write it out by hand um so that he'd get it into his brain um, about where he came from and what the plan was. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that's what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep plodding on through Exodus and go into Deuteronomy and Numbers and all that stuff that is. And I think 
It was only talking to Steve Jeffrey on the Cooper and Kerry podcast. I really realized as well that when we do that, we realize the importance of the tabernacle and the priests and the sacrifices. And unless we do that, we don't really see what a significant event the um, the temple destruction was in AD 70. And the fact that that is the probably the end of the era. So although we could say, well, when does the new era begin? Does it begin with the death of Jesus, with the resurrection of Jesus, with the ascension of Jesus, with the coming of the Holy Spirit? Well, maybe, sort of, yes, kind of. You could argue that, you know, in each thing. I mean, there's this kind of overlapping period. And then AD 70, the destruction of the temple, is just, I just think, seismic. Um, it really is the final coup de grace on the old testament on the old system um so yeah and but that that's all in passages in exodus numbers deuteronomy that we simply don't want to read um and therefore when jesus in is is doing a face-off in the temple in john chapter two um at least it's in different um it, it comes later i think in the synoptic gospels uh and when he says i'm going to tear this place down and rebuild it in three days i mean it's just it's it's both weird and horrifying what he's saying. It feels like he's really escalating things, um, which is which is great. You know, it's really again, it sort of make, just goes you takes you back to the surprising nature of the story and and reading it for what it's worth. Um, so yeah, this stuff is just sort of endlessly fascinating for me. And the more I know, the more I realise I don't know, and the more I want to know. And I'm thinking, ah. Oh, feel like I've started this in my 40s when I really should have started this in my in my 20s but oh well we are where we are mm-hmm. uh maybe I'll live uh to be 120 um like Moses Joshua that Moses about yeah because wasn't he 80 when the whole exodus started and they spent 40 yeah. years in the desert yeah yeah isn't that interesting yeah and yeah so he made it to 120 and i think joshua made it to 110. there's a lovely bit i think where uh jacob is in is in front of the pharaoh in ex in the end of genesis and he's basically <laughs> having a real old moan and just saying oh i'm old now and i haven't really done very much and he sort of feels quite bitter about the whole thing even though he's about a hundred and 20 or 130 or something you're just thinking i think you're doing all right although in ancient terms that's not doing so well and and i guess that's the other kind of massive elephant in the room that we one of the reasons why we don't look closely at these passages is because they're incredibly embarrassing science tells us we now know that the average lifespan is 70 even though historically in the last 2000 years, the, has, the the lifespan has been 20s, 30s, 40s, if you're doing well. And some people just sort of live through and live old and, that, and that's fine. Um, but we're told, no, 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 the average age is 70. Even though humans in recorded recent human history have lived to 120. No, 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 there's no way that Moses could have been 120. Yeah, yeah, but, but people are 120 now. No, no, shush. In the same way that Goliath can't be nine feet tall because people aren't nine feet tall. He wasn't really a giant. Well, there, there was that guy who was nine feet tall, Robert uh, Wadlow, I think his name was. Yeah, but not, yeah, okay. But people aren't nine feet tall, a- apart from the guy who was 
nine feet tall. So we don't believe in giants. That's silly. It's like, yeah, apart from that giant who was photographed um, in the 1950s or whatever it was. So, but, and I think it's increasingly because of the educated nature of conservative evangelicals in particular and reform types, there's a lot of elite university stuff going on there. And this stuff just doesn't play in those places. And so you just sound like some fundamentalist nut job. And people don't like that. People don't like feeling like fundamentalist nut jobs. Um, they like looking down at fundamentalist nut jobs, even though the Bible is for fundamentalist nut jobs. Uh, because, you know, it says there are giants. Um, and no, Goliath had friends who were also giants who they then went after and killed after he killed it. So we just, it, so it's, until recently, I just thought, oh, well, so Goliath is the last of the giants. No, he wasn't. There were other giants and they were still going. And then they went off and, and found them and killed them. That, I mean, it's, it's, in, it's in the Bible. <laughs> um, so I think that's the other thing is we just don't like the weirdness of it. It's embarrassing, especially if you, you know, went to an elite university or your friends did and you're some kind of influencer opinion former and you know maybe i'm old before my time i just i don't care so i just wrote a piece recently about believing in goblins martin luther believed in goblins um because he was the son of a miner and mm. miners mm. knew that under the ground there were creatures that would basically make your life a nuisance. That's where the word cobalt comes from. It's to do with the cobalt thing, which makes silver difficult to get out or something like that. Um, well, we don't believe in goblins, don't we? Don't we believe in evil spirits, don't we? Remember the ones that Jesus um, drove out? So where are they now? Yeah, but we don't really... We, we do believe in them. So how do they manifest themselves? There are tons of credible witnesses of supernatural events that are both horrifying and terrifying as well as sort of weirdly serene or all that kind of stuff. I mean, some of them are probably seeing things, but they're not all seeing things. So what are they seeing? Um, so I think there's a functional rationalism, enlightenment, scientism at work in, in Christianity in the West, which basically makes all of this stuff really emb embarrassing. So we don't really want to read old men like Moses being 80 and then having a 40 year career as a prophet. Cause we just think, no, nah, no, he would have been too old. So it's obviously wrong. It's like, no, nah, it's, it's what it says. So if you don't, if you don't believe what it says, well, that's fine. That's a different argument, but that sure. is what it is. Sure. Um, so I'm realizing that in the beginning, I didn't even start with what I wanted to start with, which was, <laughs> I wanted to just say that you and Barry have been really influential in my life and i'm oh, sure dear. it's embarrassing for you to hear i would be embarrassed if someone said that to me but i'm more worried than embarrassed but but please continue <laughs> say i'll say more nice things well anyway <laughs> it's just nice to actually get to talk to these people you know that you, you just hear their voices and you feel like you know them because you've been listening to them to i mean four years or something like that and so yeah wow. i can't say you have still not convinced me for calvinism but okay so you could work harder on that. <laughs> yeah, we kind of assume it rather than argue it. Right. It's predestination bit that you're still struggling with. Yeah, I'm struggling with um, like a lack of free will. I, I don't yeah. quite understand how 
the Calvinism doesn't turn into determinism. I know a yeah. lot of them don't, a lot of them, as if they're other creatures, don't believe that Calvinism means you have no free will. But I am really struggling to see how if you don't have free will in the biggest decision, how do you not have free will in the smallest decisions? Yeah, I, I think I, I think there is often a confusion amongst Calvinists as well of the difference between predestination and providence. Uh, so we we are dead in our transgressions and sins. New life is something that we are given. This is a gift of God. Uh, we need faith. We don't have faith. We are given faith. So this is all of God's work. Um, but but we don't live predetermined lives in quite the same way that that would therefore possibly logically lead one towards. So there's a difference between uh, being given new life uh, in terms of predestination, but then providential. So how you live your life as a Christian uh, is not necessarily as predetermined as one might think, because it's it, what's the other thing that's interesting to me. Maybe I'm being a heretical Calvinist, but I don't I don't think I am. Again, it's based on what do we see in Scripture? Um, God's actions incorporate our our requests. You know, obvious example being the golden calf. Uh, well, okay, maybe that's not an obvious example, but it's one I've looked at recently. And I've looked at it twice with two different sets of kids in my church. Um, and God says, right, step aside. Uh, they've gone too far. This is it. I'm going to build a new, I'm going to, I'm going to start again with you, Moses. Um, and so, and Moses intercedes and he begs God to change his mind and successfully does so. So we are incorporated um, into uh, God's will, I think, in some way. Uh, so that it's and it's interesting how many times God asks us questions. He wouldn't do that if he wasn't interested in the answers. So, um, you know, it's the first thing that happens in Eden uh, after we've sinned. Where are you? What are you doing? Who told you that? What's going on? So, well, I think God knows the answers to all those questions, but he's interested in what our answers are going to be, even though he kind of knows what they are, because there is a relationship there. But for us to have supremely independent agency and to be able to surprise God in some way strikes me as sort of illogical and impossible. Uh, so God is not surprised by what we do because he made us and he knows us intimately. But the idea that he... Uh, kind of has just set us up and he's just going to let us run like a clockwork mouse. Well, that's not the case. We, we, we neither want that nor experience that. So that can't be true. Um, it's not a biblical view. Um, I mean, that's kind of, you know, other religions are much more deistic in that sense. And um, Islam, there's no, there's no relationship uh, in Islam in the same way that there is in Christianity. And that very relationship would be blasphemous. Uh, to the followers uh, of the various strains of, of Islam. So, um, so I think your, 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 your gut suspicion of predeterminism, I think, is right. And fatalism, I think, is right. Um, but new life comes from God. That's just, I, I simply can't see a way around Ephesians 2. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith, and this is a gift from God. Um, but that's not the entire story. That's not how we live our lives. And I think one of the things that I really, 
I find really appealing um, about uh, stuff like James Jordan and Peter Lightheart and the Theopolis guys and the Davenant Institute and a whole load of other Alistair Roberts and stuff is the their view of the gospel of Christianity is just taking one step further back and in, and it goes from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation whereas the conservative evangelical view sort of starts in Genesis 3 and kind of ends at the resurrection so we don't really have categories for stuff outside of that whereas I just think how God is building his kingdom on earth and even our sins not going to destroy that and that there is a cosmic angelic battle that is raging alongside that has already been uh, determined that that battle is going to be lost by Satan and his angels. Um, you know, so I, I think our drama plays out within the bigger drama, but I think one of the reasons for that cosmic drama is that God made us a little lower than the angels, but gives us this dignity. We are made in God's image. So there is this kind of special relationship there which i presume satan was envious of and wanted to destroy or wanted to have for himself or wanted to um so that's gonna that's a really weird answer uh to your suspicions about predestination um but i think but i, I yeah but i think the kind of the, the bog standard arguments that you've probably heard oh, plenty yeah. of time probably aren't really doing it for you and and I and I can understand that because I think I think the tap I think the tapestry into which our lives are woven is slightly bigger and more surprising, um, and I think we have we have more say in the making of that tapestry. And then, you know, when we looked at rewards on the Cooper and Carey podcast, the idea that what we do now does not echo for eternity is nonsense. We, it does, so we don't have this complete factory reset when Christ returns. That's not it um so we are incorporated into uh the kingdom of god uh but i but i can't see how predestination isn't true and i can't see how god isn't utterly sovereign but yeah so that that's kind of where i come down on that and in a way i think if you if you really think you do understand it i don't think you understand it it's one of those things that's sort of slightly too big for your head it's like we've our brains are all got one terabyte of processing information and that this requires two terabytes. Yeah. And so you can't retain all of it at the same time. It can't really be done. Um, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe the, maybe the 55 year old me will be deeply ashamed of what I've just said and just go, <laughs> you've not read the right books. You need to think again. But who knows? Yeah. Well, so maybe it is just that there's things I don't like that are in the Bible. There are definitely things I do not like. I'd say number one is when James says, how dare you curse other people made in God's image? And I go, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, in Romans, there's lots of, you know, did God not harden Pharaoh's heart so he yeah. could show how powerful he was? Yeah, I did. Mm. And I instinctively go, well, maybe, but does that mean he does that for every human that hasn't? become a Christian or was that a particular moment in time? It's hmm, a good question. So I, I don't know, but I have a hard time with probably irresistible grace in Tulip. 
because I think the flip side is irresistible evil because if anything good that is in you is only God and without God you're only bad and then God has rejected you but you're still we still treat those people as if they have personal responsibility but if God has rejected them and taken everything good out of them then Hitler is the only natural ending of that yeah no, I can, I, I, I get the logic, um, but in a way, we're we're operating between things that we, we know to be true. It's just we have a hard time seeing how they how they meet in the middle. And again, maybe it's going back to me being, I'm not fifty fifty sitcom guy, Bible guy. I'm a hundred percent both. Jesus, you know, the the Godhead isn't a third spirit, a third son, a third father. He's a hundred percent all. I think this is one of those things where we believe in human agency otherwise christ did not need to die for our sins because we're not responsible for them and we never were we are responsible but at the same time uh we we are not capable of um saving ourselves so i think i think it's one of those things that, that they're both simultaneously true like the proverbs that we came that we mentioned earlier and we don't and we probably favor one over the other and but but there's a situational aspect to it, which I think it means that one one comes into play more than the other. But um, but there's there's plenty of verses about um, being cross about God, uh, making decisions. The the clay, the pot, saying to the potter, "Why have you made me thus?" Yeah, so, yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work. Yeah, um, Paul's what is, not having that. Yeah, what does Paul say? How dare you talk back How to God? Yeah, to talk back to God. So I th I think in a way. For us as created finite, flawed beings to say that we know better is like uh, your kids saying, why are you making me do my piano practice? And they won't, they will thank you for it eventually, but just not in the moment. And as a parent, you just know, well, I just have to suck it up and do it. Um, and then when you can make your own decisions, you can decide to kick it in, but not on my watch. Um, so I think we experience life as children and we relate to God as children relate to parents sometimes, which is, this seems grossly unfair because we, we don't see the bigger picture. Um, and I think the way in which we have children for a long period of time, and we're not asexual beings, we don't have asexual reproduction. We're not like blue, blue bottle flies that just reproduce clones of themselves or all these other strange things or lay eggs and then forget about them and swim off into the ocean. And that's the end of that because we raise our children in a particular way i think god has again woven that into the tapestry of reality so that we can see how we are children in relating to our parents in the same way that even as adults we are children as we are relating to god our father um i think that's i, th I think that's a feature um not not a bug sure sure well i do have to say you make very good arguments <laughs> but arguments don't win it we know we've I read know. jonathan heights righteous mind people make up their mind and then they rationalize it afterwards yeah um, but again he would say that you know and we can we can deconstruct that one for as long as we like to sure sure um so i have officially ticked off about one percent of my question so <laughs> how about i very not smoothly segue into what do you have against... See, this is why we have jingles on the cooper yes, and carrie yes. podcast 
Which yeah. also, who is in charge of those jingles? Because they are good. They are very oh, bless good. you. Thank you. They are a joint effort, as in we do them individually, but you can normally tell which ones I've done because you can probably recognize my voice. Yeah. But I think Barry's are better. Um, the one that sounds like a cologne commercial just oh, yeah. is so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all Coops. Yeah. So, yeah, he's sort of done the historically funnier ones. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, but I I'm a comedy writer, so I don't need to prove myself. Sure, sure. Anyway, jingles. Have we, let's have a jingle. Jingle, jingle, jingle. against Ayn Rand I don't I'm I'm interested by Ayn Rand but only as a kind of an outside observer Ayn Rand has zero traction in the UK hmm. no one's heard of Ayn Rand no one cares no one's interested uh, you do not ever see her invoked in popular culture um, Atlas Shrugged no one's heard of Atlas Shrugged in the UK um it might have got a bit more traction recently just because of you know political debates and the way these things have gone and now lots of uk political activists sort of follow american politics i mean the reason i i mean i don't do so much anymore but the reason i used to enjoy watching ben shapiro and all those kind of guys is because americans actually talk about the point of government and what the government actually isn't isn't and what it has the right to do and what it doesn't and in britain we just don't do that there's just this general blob consensus. And so, you know, nobody talks about, you know, classical liberalism or um, or sort of Disraeli politics, all that kind of stuff. It's a really niche interest. Mm. Everyone's far too pragmatic. Um, uh, but and that's, I think, partly a function of our lack of spirituality. I don't think there's any great. I don't think people see the mm. encroaching huge welfare state as some kind of um, alternative to church, which is fundamentally what it is i don't think anyone minds that um society has basically been hollowed out and therefore needs to be replaced with compulsory political institutions um so i've only really approached ayn rand as an outsider i mean firstly she looks really creepy i mean she looks like something out of a out of a horror movie i mean she's really kind of uh you know she's really quite something to look at yeah so that's a, that's an odd first impression, um, and so I I, I kind of get her uh, her general thrust of her politics. And I listened to Jonah Goldberg mention her uh, the other day. So yeah, I listened to Jonah Goldberg and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, who I don't fundamentally agree with on everything, but I think he's a good good guy, interesting, well read, lots of good stuff. Um, interesting how his mate David French now is just getting absolutely battered uh, by. Uh, quite a few Christians uh, for being too much of a milk toast centrist, but anyway, um, the so yeah, you look at Iron Rand, and there's just this kind of whiff of a sort of utopianism about her, but a right wing utopianism 
which is based on self-interest. So in a way, it just feels like I'm surprised that people, especially Christians, I remember John Piper talking about Ayn Rand in a very positive way and just thinking Ayn Rand believes fundamentally in self-interest um, and happened to weirdly be anti-abortion, I think, uh, for some slightly bizarre uh, reason. Um, but, but in a way, I think she kind of she represents some version of right wing free market economics and the kind of the, the self-interest. Now, I don't really believe in self-interest. I believe in free markets and that they work better because I think self-interest has some positives. And I believe but Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations is um, built on the idea that you have a Christian society. So people forget all of his stuff about virtue um, and sort of build on, you know, this kind of. Uh, so, yeah so they kind of kick that away and just think well none of these things work if you don't have a christian society just like the yeah. american constitution only works within a christian society um so so yeah so that's kind of my ayn rand thing it's just like oh these are the headlines of ayn rand i'm kind of surprised that people give her such a free pass that they do i don't know have i have i got that wrong i don't think so but i just uh was reading your biography on i don't know what website your bio and you had said oh libertarians listen to ayn rand parentheses they shouldn't or something <laughs> and i thought huh i wonder what he's thinking there yeah uh, i read atlas shrugged a few years ago and i hated it and i it it was it ended in a utopia that i was like yeah that's literally gonna last like four years <laughs> that is so dumb and i just hated it hated it and hated it but I something about her stuck in my mind and then I read The Fountainhead and I learned that you have to read The Fountainhead then Atlas Shrugged because they follow a like philosophical logical point and so if you're just jumping into the middle it doesn't make any sense. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah, I read so I read The Fountainhead and I'm like this is one of my favorite books that I've ever read. Okay. And it I, I don't think you'll like it. It's not a Christian book in any me means. It's um, But the main character has chosen to be poor and stand for his principles. Oh. And he is always choosing. It's, and this is her version of self-interest self that doesn't actually make sense in her own logic. But if you're a Christian, you can kind of figure it out. Where it's, you don't act in your self-interest for the next five minutes you act in your self-interest over your lifetime and mm -hmm. so it was in this man's as a really good architect it would have been in his immediate self-interest to sell himself out to the corporations to build buildings but he wanted to do buildings how he wanted to do it so he chose to be poor and eventually make it and so that it is about discipline and character but because she's an atheist, it's really hard. Like, how are you coming up with what uh, is this character? She's for morality, for self-interest in a, with a moral compass. But where is the moral compass coming from? I'm so pleased you've suggested The Fountainhead because I, I need to read another book like that. And the reason is I, in the last few months, read Fahrenheit 451. And I reread Brave New World, having not read it since I was, I was made to read it when I was 16. Um, and I've got this sitcom idea about um, the right to be unhappy. 
mm-hmm. um, and sort of fighting against the giant algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sounds like The Fountainhead's another one of those sorts of books, really, uh, that kind of taps into that from a slightly different perspective. So that is going to the top of my uh, next novel reading list. So Very thank good. you. Yes, when you're done, let me know what you think. Yeah. We can do a special feature length we should. Uh, deep dive into The Fountainhead. And then I may read Atlas Shrugged, but I gather the last 60 pages of Atlas Shrugged are basically someone talking, um, it, which is... It's not the last the- 60. Right. Yeah, but it is a very good chunk of a speech. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's just... I mean, one of the basic things I say to people when writing sitcoms is like, your characters have quite long speeches. You have to break them up. And when you when you download a script uh, from the internet, like a TV script, it's really surprising how much white space is on the page and how short the things people say are because they're having a conversation and reacting to each other rather than just sort of saying Yeah, yeah. Saying things. Well, this um, speech was on TV, so it kind of makes sense. It wasn't a conversation. Um, sure. But you, your, your job as a novelist is to right. kind of show, not tell. Yeah. No. The other thing to keep in mind about Ayn Rand is that she escaped the Bolshevik Revolution. And so her entire life is, do not let others do anything for you. They don't mean it. They just don't. They're getting something out of it. And I don't think she's wrong. I think hmm. there hardly is such a thing as, oh, what's that word? Altruism. It's rare. For the most part, the person doing the nice thing is getting something and you should ask is somebody getting something out of me by them seeming to do something nice i would say yeah uh free vaccines i mean i won't say anything more but at this point the internet suddenly cuts us off and that's the end of that well actually i was going to use different uh, more generic examples though of i was thinking about this the other day and how actually with regard to with regard to food I just listened to a podcast series called A Thorough Examination, which is two identical twin brothers who are both medical professionals. And one of them's four stone heavier than the other. Um, and I lost four stone, uh, which is about 60 pounds uh, about five years ago, or maybe three years ago, because uh, I was just really fat. Um, and I thought that's not very good. And I, I was sort of deluding myself and I was being gluttonous and all that kind of stuff. But one of the big uh, things in this podcast series, which uh, they cover is ultra processed food, which is food that contains stuff that you basically wouldn't ever have in your kitchen. So processed food may be okay. Like cheese is processed food, Um, you know, and cauliflower is not processed food. Um, But uh, but chicken wings uh, from KFC, well, that's kind of processed food because that's kind of containing chemicals on the on the source that makes it finger licking good or whatever it is i don't know i've i've been to a kfc once in my entire life i think you had the right um, slogan yeah um and i'm sure even the um oh what's what's that christian chicken place um in america chick-fil-a chick-fil-a I, I, i've heard that their sauces are incredible but i bet you they're ultra processed yeah um but yeah they kind of have to be because it's shelf life and all yeah. that kind of stuff and i think listening to that and just thinking about the giant algorithm and how there's this there's this thing in number 10 downing street called the nudge unit which is nudging people to make good choices without even telling them they're making choices but overall the default setting on virtually everything is not in your best interests 
someone else has decided for you what you are um what 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 would be what they think would be good for you or at least what what would be good for you that is also good for them so i think uh, overall i think as life has become more and more complex and i think that's god's design i don't think that's a bad thing um we are moving from the garden and from the land to a city um we need to re bear in mind that those who make decisions for us do not have our best interests at heart and so we need to and it's a one thing i remember years and years ago when i was listening to douglas wilson uh before he was making lots of people very angry um is his thing where he says don't react act mm -hmm. so if you spend your whole life reacting to crises um then you're never going to be in a good situation but so so kind of be intentional about the stuff that you're doing and just think it all through um and so i just think people aren't really willing to do that um so but it takes a lot of effort and people think you're weird and we home educate our kids because we want to be intentional in what we are teaching our kids rather than outsourcing it to other people um we're really careful about what we eat um and i lost a lot of weight and all that kind of stuff and and it's kind of exhausting uh to have that approach to everything um but yeah i think but that that iron ran thing i guess is part of that you know just to tie it back to that is that people do not have your best interests at heart um and you know big brother doesn't love you uh i should probably read 1984 shouldn't i you I have not I, well i feel like i have but i don't <laughs> think oh are I you just looking outside <laughs> i don't think i have actually read it uh. um i've maybe i've read bits of it mm. i don't know i mean it feels like it's so culturally dominant that it feels like you almost don't need to read it but i think i do actually need to read it i was interested actually going back to brave new world that uh i didn't again i thought it was wasn't particularly well written it felt quite clunky but this is you know this is 50 years on sure uh, and he was really pulling ideas out of the sky and you know so it full full marks but it was weird how it wasn't like rediscovering something that's sort of marvelous whereas i found that reading that hideous strength by c.s lewis um where i just thought oh this is just brilliant um and it's well written as well whereas with brave new world i just thought oh the idea here is really compelling and he set it up really well but it's very very talky explainy 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 um but you know yeah that's okay you might not like um 1984 there's quite a bit of explanation a, a large portion of the book is just the like the thoughts inside the character's head there's yeah. not a ton of dialogue and there is a section i actually just list listened to the audio two weeks ago so it's very fresh there's yeah. one chapter that's an hour and a half long where he has supposedly gotten an illegal book and he's just reading from that illegal book. Mm. So, interesting. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Fahrenheit 451 is illegal books. Yes. Uh, and then the savage in uh, Brave New World, he's got Shakespeare in his head and he's sort of, and, and they are basically illegal books. So it's interesting, isn't it, how how books seem to be, even though we live in a digital audio visual age, it still feels like books is where it starts. Yeah, and with this digital age, you know, they could change those books and make, if, if somebody wanted to, you can change the digital copy, you can change the audio copy really easy. And I mm. wouldn't be none the wiser, but I mean, I have a huge bookshelf. I'm 
crazy about buying books because I'm terrified of the books being changed. Um, wow. Okay. 1984 has influenced me probably in not the best way, but. Uh, well, again, it's just a, it, there's a difference between being paranoid and not being naive. Yeah. Um, and if we think that the government who, you know, I mean, I think the government tax the UK at about 40 percent. So 40%, so I don't pay 40% tax, but but the total GDP of this country is taken by the government. It's about 40% of that. So the amount of money that at least they're spending, if not necessarily what they're taxing and what they're borrowing, it's about 40%. So it's like, well, why wouldn't they really want to control uh, information oh, yeah. um, very, very carefully? So it's, it's kind of, I mean, I, I'd imagine the tax rate in the US isn't that dissimilar because you've got federal taxes, state taxes, you know, local taxes, city taxes, or, or whatever. It's definitely right. lower than that on average. We pay yeah. about 22%, um, but that's not including property tax. Yeah, so, and sales tax. Yeah. Yeah, so it sells every single thing that you buy, you know, it's like, so, I mean, they, they, they're going to get you somehow. Um, yeah. it, it ends up being 30%, um, you know, in terms of, what the nation of America earns and what the nation of America spends, they're just dipping in and pulling out 30, 35% every year. Um, so well, where does that money come from? The, the, the state doesn't create wealth. The government can't create wealth. It just, unless it invents it, unless it speaks it into existence, um, which it also does, but they have to call it quantitative easing because otherwise it just sounds like the kind of thing that Robert Mugabe did in Zimbabwe, which is just print money. Um, but that's 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 what it is. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just money printing. Yeah. Um, How are we doing on your list of questions? Sorry, uh, we, are we, have we just done question one? Yeah. Well, let's see. We've that was actually a pretty decent segue into number two, which is oh, great. you're a libertarian, but you don't necessarily think people should have guns. Well, so that's... please defend yourself. Well, we're about to record an episode of the Cooper and Kerry podcast with um barry's pastor um and he he has a couple of guns and a crossbow because he likes hunting but what's interesting is is he says and this will come out in the podcast i'm sure we haven't had it yet but it's interesting that americans american pastors and american christians would just say oh i'm not really a gun guy oh okay yeah i've only got a couple <laughs> oh okay no no one has guns in the uk no one, um, apart from farmers. My, my dad had a gun, um, like a shotgun, uh, and I can't remember why. But these days, people, people under the age of 50 don't have guns. Um, you know, and, and, and hunting and going out shooting is something that really super rich people do and posh people do. Um, it's just not a thing. Uh, so you've got plenty of uh, gang violence in London, a city of 8 million people, how are they killing each other? With knives, because they don't have guns. You would just be, you would just be astonished to see anyone with a gun, with live ammunition, just in everyday life in the, in the UK. If somebody just, if you were, if I was in my t hometown and I saw somebody carrying a gun or had a gun in a holster, I'd be like, what, what's going on, you know? And this is, so the idea of having a gun pulled on you just isn't, isn't anything. It's like, it's not even a consideration. So, um, yeah. So but I totally understand 
the foundation of America has guns kind of built into it. And now you live in a country of 300 million guns. So if I move to America and I lived in an area where the people who might break in have guns, then you'd, I'd have a gun to protect my kids. And that, that I wouldn't feel particularly bad about it, but I'd probably only have one and I wouldn't like it. Um, but yeah, it's just a completely different approach, really. So yeah, we're, we're going to get around to that. Um, so yeah, but but it's all to do with, you know, the, the, the coercive power of the state. So I kind of get the argument that if the state has um, coercive power and they have all the guns, then you've got no way of, of stopping the state uh, from doing whatever they want because they've got all the guns. But um, I don't know, it just always feels like a bit of a, if everyone's got guns, so we can't let the government do, you know, completely take over. You just think, well, you kind of voted for them. So, um, you know, you've got your checks and balances in place. So what do you think is going to happen? Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it just, it's it's one of those things that I think British uh, Christians just kind of go, I, I don't get it. I, I don't see it. Um, but, you know, the, having said that, I wrote a show of a sitcom called Bluestone 4-2, which is set in Afghanistan um, and about bomb disposal and IEDs and stuff. And so I had to um, write, I wrote an episode where at one point the UK, the British army were issued with Glock 17s, I think, or at least everybody who joined at a particular point was issued with a Glock. And up until that point, uh, they had been issued with six hours. No, me neither. No, never heard of them. And so there was just this debate in the show about this, this you know, this young guy. In fact, Matt Lewis, who plays Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter movies, oh. his character had was given a had would been issued with a Glock, and he was just like, "This is unbelievably cool." And his um, his boss, uh, Captain Nick Medhurst, still had the Sig Sauer, and there was basically a "Who's got the coolest gun?" competition, um, and um, and in order to get issued with a Glock, I think. Captain Nick had to go, had to do some kind of basic training, which he completely screwed up or something. I can't, I can't remember the exact details. But in researching this video, I had to watch quite a lot of videos um, about, uh, from made by gun owners who own Glocks and Sig Sauers and whatever. And there's a third one as well, which is like an equivalent. And I was just suddenly thinking, oh man, my, my YouTube algorithm is really not looking very healthy. And right now a little red light's gone off in the home office. Uh, you know the State Department just like going there's a guy in the Oval looking at guns you might want to keep an eye on him yeah um, keeps himself to himself um, recently bought a trench coat uh, or whatever it is you know what I mean it's just yeah. like uh, so that that was a bit of a worry uh, but it was really alien because I just I just don't know anything about them um, and I had a chance to fire some live ammunition and live guns when when we filmed the show in South Africa and I slightly regret saying no now but I did just go no, it just doesn't have any interest for me, really. Hmm. Um, so there we go. Yeah. That's well, guns. I could say that I would absolutely love a world where guns didn't exist, but they do. And what yeah. I, uh, it's so hard because this, this is just a snake eating its tail, but I like having weapons. So I feel on somewhat equal footing of the criminal or the policeman that has something against me all of a sudden because I have an unedited 1984. So, <laughs> yeah, right? And so I like feeling somewhat on equal ground. But isn't that what we do, like, big picture? We say, well, 
I mean, China has, like yesterday, they just tested a supersonic missile. Well, we better have supersonic missiles since they do. And I'm thinking, well, if Joe Biden gets a supersonic missile, I think I want one. <laughs> and so it just keeps on going around. Yeah. And yeah. it is never ending. And But it makes me feel better to have a gun next to me when I sleep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you live in a state where the bad guys have guns... Uh, then I get it. It's just no, no one, no one's got guns here. Um, yeah. So you know, no one's, no one's coming after you. So I guess your opinion wasn't near as strong as it looked. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of probably more pro-gun than most British people who would say, who would, who would sort of look at. So I, I follow the gun debates in the UK a little bit. Sorry, in the US a little bit, and I get the sense that the pro-gun people, and I, I sort of watch people who are generally pro-guns, but they kind of can't they're kind of always losing their minds that the anti-gun people can't even describe guns correctly um and they you know they don't really know what an automatic weapon is and they don't know what and so they say oh we should ban this and we should ban that and it's like yeah that's already been banned and that isn't what you think it is right right um so you know and then also though there's this kind of like the moderate position that at least hollywood stars used to have until recently which is like, hey, I'm moderate on guns. Look, no one's saying that you shouldn't be allowed to own several guns. What I am saying is uh, you shouldn't necessarily be allowed to have a machine gun. And so it's really interesting that the, that the, the mild moderate position was until relatively recently, at least. Sure, you can own and collect guns. So I was yeah. over here, it's like, why would you want more than one? What are you doing with this gun? Well, uh, they but, have different reasons. There's different. You need big yeah. ones and you need little ones that you can conceal, and no one knows you have one with you. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. Um, my my wife has informed me that uh, my lunch will be ready quite soon. So okay, uh, we've got time for a couple more questions, and then we should. Uh, then I'm afraid I need to. We'll need to pick this up another time. Okay. Let's see. I'm inviting myself back onto your podcast yeah, for some yeah. reason. Yeah, I mean, that would be fine with me. Uh, let's see. I'll just give you a hint at other questions I had that will take too long. Uh, you don't believe in conspiracies, so what's up with that? Um, you also think 12 Rules for Life is just a self-help book, yeah. and I would disagree. I think okay. it's much more meaningful than that. So we could keep those for next time. Uh, but... In the meantime, let's see. What's your uh, what's what do you think the funniest story in the Bible is? Um, oh, I I keep changing my mind because I just keep coming across not new ones but ones I've read and just have had forgotten. Um, so I wrote a lot about this in a book. I'm just going to mention it called The Gospel According to a Sitcom Writer, where I kind of sort of fill in some of the blanks and the subtext of um. Of stuff particularly in john's gospel uh i think the line that i keep coming back to which just makes me laugh is the parable of the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares when he comes back and discovers that there are weeds in his field and he says an enemy did this i just love that kind of you can imagine someone i, I imagine peter griffin narrowing his eyes oh man an enemy did this you know um so uh, that line always gets me and I don't quite know why. I, it comes across, I, I think of it quite often. Um, I don't know. I, uh, the Ascension's pretty weird. I think the Transfiguration does, it doesn't get any weirder. And that weird isn't necessarily funny. 
But I love Peter's panic at the transfiguration when he's like out of his mind and he says, let's build booths. Um, and you can imagine sort of Elijah and Moses looking at Jesus going, what's, 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 what's with that guy? And Jesus saying, yeah, you, you get used to it after a while. He's kind of, he's a nice guy. You know what I mean? Even worse is like, this guy's going to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know, this, yeah. this is the new hope uh, for the new covenant. But, um, but yeah, I think the transfiguration is, is, is really off the, ch off the charts. Strange. Um, but yeah, I, I, I probably couldn't pick a favorite. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, who, who can say, who can say? I, I, the talking donkey is always, uh, you know, the numbers chapter 22, uh, again, we're going back to people just don't want to believe oh, yeah. uh, weird stuff and people sort of go, donkeys can't talk. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. But what I do know is when a donkey talks, listen. Uh, because donkeys don't talk. Uh, so th there's that. Um, and so what I, I use that story particularly, I wrote a play called The God Particle, which listeners can can buy and download and watch and stream. Um, and so I thought, let's... And it's about a, a, a Church of England a vicar, priest, and a quantum physicist who is really super hyper-rational. And I just thought, well, let's just choose the most embarrassing story in the Bible. Um, and so, and get him to justify it. And there is a conversation, there is a moment where he actually has a conversation with a donkey uh, because the whole place is kind of starting to go, to go weird. Um, and so I just thought, well, let's just own it. You know, again, we can't get away from these strange things happening in the Bible. Let's own it. And so when a donkey says, what is all this? Why are you beating me up um, to a prophet? You just think, well, I don't, in a way, I can't really see how it could get any funnier than that in terms of, role reversal supernatural eyes on stalks i really should quit drinking kind of moments it's yeah. it's amazing um so that's got to be right up there hasn't it yeah it is quite funny and it's not only that he talks it's what he says he's like have i ever once not done what you asked can you yeah. not give me the benefit of the doubt just one time yeah yeah and it's not even, this is the voice of God speaking through a donkey. Please don't beat the donkey. Right. The donkey's just going, I'm not having this. What are you, what, seriously? It's like, I'm the bad guy here? You know, yeah. it's, the fact that what the donkey actually says is kind of attitude is just, is, is ama it's just beautiful. It's funny. You, you literally couldn't have scripted that better. Um, a, a, a human author wouldn't have written that as funny. Uh, so yeah, God's word is, is supernatural in that sense. Yeah. I'd say my favorite story, at least funny story, it's not a favorite, uh, is when Moses is up on the mountain getting the law and he comes down and they have a golden calf and he's like, Aaron, uh, what's going on? And Aaron goes, I don't know. They just brought me their earrings and necklaces and it happened. I don't know how it happened. Out came the calf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is worst excuse I think ever isn't it i mean i don't think and he they they've literally just got the commandments which is you shall not make a graven image of me the israelites go well let's try some idolatry and aaron's trying to save the situation with this weird lump and mess that's come out says it looks a bit like a calf behold this is the lord your god capital l-o-r-d there's an element of like so this is yahweh are we going to go for this it's like that's just worse yeah don't oh man 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. It's funny. And I think that's kind of been my kind of my mission of the last five years is really Christians just kind of are reading this stuff and going, this is this is weird and kind of funny, but I'm I don't think I'm meant to find it funny. It's like I think you are meant to find it funny. It doesn't make it any less true. In fact, it is all the more true uh, for being uh, for being written this way. And in fact, comedy is based on truth. It's not based on lie. There has to be a grain of truth to it. Otherwise, it just doesn't have the the, the you know the resonance. Uh, so yeah, that's been a bit of a uh, I think will will remain my long standing quest probably over the next 10 15 20 years unless i get to live to be 120 like moses um or older like jacob uh, and slightly bitter about it <laughs> well i think we better wrap up so you can get lunch and i have to get to work but i'll have you rapid fire answer these questions i ask everyone at the end uh do you prefer the office or parks and rec oh parks and rec uk office was great uh, I haven't really seen the American office. Parks and Rec is just tremendous. Apart from the first series thereafter, it gets really fun. Oh, yeah. The Ron first Swanson one was rough. It's one of the all-time great comic creations. Yes, indeed. Um, <clears throat> number two is Genesis chapters 1 through 11, history or mythology? History. Uh, do you think that there are aliens? Uh, no. Uh, but I think people who see aliens are seeing something and they're not they're not lying um but i think uh yeah see the cultish podcast i think is quite good on this stuff but i think these things are demonic deceptions um and they always end up in somehow uh denying christ or the occult sure, uh, so sure. that's kind of that's a trajectory every time which makes me think it's probably demons sure that's very reasonable um Last one. I'm glad you think so. Yeah. Who or what inspires you to be your best self? And don't say Jesus. Okay. Well, that would be boring, wouldn't it? It would be. Um, heroes of life are... Uh, when I was asked this on a BBC local radio show, I went for uh, PJ O'Rourke. This is a while ago. Um, slash, I might replace him with Gary Goldberg now, but PJ O'Rourke's kind of funny. Um, C.S. Lewis... Uh, G.K. Chesterton and um, I think I'd probably take William Wilberforce as well. Um, I might have said P.G. Woodhouse, but I think Wilberforce as evangelical who actually got stuff done. I think he's pretty hard to beat, really, isn't he? He stood up and yeah. said, hey, guys, slavery, not cool. And they all said, it is fine. Shut up. Sit down. And he just kept going and going and going and going and going. Uh, so I think he's pretty inspiring. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, that wraps up uh, a few of my questions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good time. Good time. Um, well, thank you for coming also. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, uh, you get to your lunch and I'll get to my work and have a good day. Thanks so much. It's yeah. been a pleasure to talk to you. You too. Cheerio. See ya.